Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, If you have a Bible, it's time for us to uh, get into God's Word. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and we'll be all the way to the end of chapter 9 today in verses 57 uh, through 62. Verses 57 through 62. Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. So I want to warn at the outset, like Jesus will do within the message, I want to warn at the outset um, that today's message is not for the faint of heart. Um, Today's message will be challenging for us, but my prayer is that it would also be encouraging for us. Um, I think it is, I think it is so pertinent, so significant um, for us as believers or people who are maybe um, curious about God to understand what it really means to follow Jesus. Um, All of us at some point, if you are a Christian, you're a believer, at some point in your walk with God, you've encountered someone or met someone who said that they, at one point in time, were a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but they're no longer Christian. They're no longer uh, following Jesus. And I say to that, I believe that if, if that is the conclusion that they've come to, then maybe they didn't truly understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus on the front end. Oftentimes, unfortunately, churches, Christians, pastors do a horrible job of telling people what comes along with being a follower of Jesus. And I want to give you a warning at the outset. The conclusion that we'll come to is that it is not a walk in the park. It is not easy. But the beautiful thing is is that God's grace is sufficient for all of us. If you've been walking with Jesus for longer than five minutes, you realize that he turned the heat up as soon as you started following him. And so that's not to be a surprise for us, but it comes along with it because there will be a reward for us at the end. It won't be all for naught. There will be a beautiful reward for us as followers of Jesus at the end. And so this is what this message is about. And so I want you to turn to Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. Here's what it says. It says this, starting at verse 57, it says this, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you Wherever you go, that's a bold statement. I almost want to get stuck there. They were traveling on the road. Someone approaches Jesus out of the blue and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, Jesus told him, notice Jesus' response, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man, Jesus is referring to himself, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, this is another person that Jesus encounters, but I want you to notice something different. This person doesn't come to Jesus. Jesus comes to this person. And here's what happens. Jesus says this. He said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, the guy was like, hold up, wait a minute. First, let me go bury my father. Let let me go bury my father. I need some family. I got some family business I need to take care of. Let me go do that first. And here's Jesus' response, the coldest line in the whole Bible. Let the dead bury their own dead. Wow. That's, that's a cold line. I want you to imagine for a second you encounter Jesus and you tell Jesus or Jesus comes to you and asks you to follow him, but you got family business to take care of. It's so significant and so important. It, you have to bury the person that is closest to you. And Jesus' response is let the dead bury their own dead. That, that's a strong response. But here's what Jesus tells them. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. 
Then another person came, another one. This one volunteers as opposed to Jesus calling him. Verse 61, another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but, 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 but first, first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. And here's Jesus' reply to the third person. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Following Jesus isn't like our cultural version of following. To choose to follow him and then to unfollow him actually has real life implications. To unfollow means that you were never actually following him in the first place. To, to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus is a commitment to follow even when you see some stuff that you don't want to see. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus was not interested in, in followers. He was actually interested in making disciples. And so when we see follow in the Bible, it's not our rendition of follow, but follow in the Bible actually means following Jesus so that you can be a disciple, that you can actually be a disciple of Jesus. So let us define what it actually means biblically to follow someone, to, to follow Jesus, the individual calling to follow Jesus involves abiding fellowship with him and trust in him, not only for the sake of learning, but also for the sake of suffering and salvation. Let, let me read that for you again in case you don't know what it means to follow Jesus. The individual calling to follow Jesus involves abiding fellowship with him and trust in him, not only for the sake of learning about him, but also for the sake of suffering and salvation in him. And so when we get to this section of Luke's gospel, Jesus is going somewhere. Jesus is on the move. He is moving in the direction of Jerusalem ahead to where God has planned for him to go all along where he will carry the cross and he will be crucified for the sins of humanity. If we roll back a couple of verses in verse 51, Jesus says that the text tells us that Jesus is determined to journey to Jerusalem. He determined to journey through Jerusalem or to Jerusalem. He has resolved in his mind to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem to see it through to the end. He's determined to accomplish a task that has been set before him. He is fixated on doing his father's will. No matter what happens, no matter what roadblocks occur, no matter who falls out of favor with him, no matter who says they don't like him, no matter who tries to kill him, Jesus is fixated on going to Jerusalem to finish and complete his father's task that his father set out for him. And so this passage comes in the context of rejection because Jesus has been talking to both Jews and Samaritans alike. And both Jews and Samaritans have had this opportunity to try to follow Jesus. And Jesus, in this, in this text, in this particular context, has just gone through a village of Samaritans. Samaritans were a group that did not get along with the Jews, although they were half-mixed Jews. But the Jews and Samaritans did not get along. The Jews believe you worship in Jerusalem, Samaritans believe that you worship somewhere else. Oftentimes, if a person had to get somewhere and Samaria was the easiest route, Jews would typically go around to avoid having to encounter any of the Samaritans. So this is a real, a real place, but Jesus goes through Samaria. Although Jesus is a Jew, he goes through a village of the Samaritans. Jesus does this because Jesus wants to broaden his ministry. It's a sign to us that his ministry is not just for one people group, 
But Jesus has come to save and seek and save that which, which was lost. Jesus has come to save all of humanity, not just one particular people group. And so Jesus goes through there. Not only do the Jews reject Jesus, but the Samaritans reject Jesus as well. Going to, it goes to show us that it doesn't matter where someone comes from or what their race is, people reject Jesus. Black people reject Jesus. White people reject Jesus. A Asian people reject Jesus. Latino people reject Jesus. And so we see this in the text, but that does not matter to Jesus. The, the disciples, John and James, that are with Jesus, they're like, yo, you want us to call down fire on the village of Samaria? And Jesus is like, hey, wait a minute, no. I don't want you to set them on fire because Jesus desires to give all of us time. So you see this grace in this text before we get to our main text today, but there's a tone of sadness because there's rejection. Jesus knows what's about to happen, and people don't know what's about to happen, but Jesus does. And Jesus is giving any and everybody an opportunity to find life in him if they would just make a decision to follow him. And on the journey to Jerusalem, Jesus will encounter people, potential disciples, people that will, make, that will have to make life and death decisions to determine if they will not only follow him, but if they will actually be his disciple. And so this is a time in this text, there's an urgency over this text. This is not a time to vacillate. This is not a time to be on the fence. This is not a time for that. This is a time to be sure and served about what you're going to do. This is the kind of urgency when you're driving to work and you're on I-4, God forbid, at 8.30 in the morning or you're on 436, God forbid, in the morning and you're 10 minutes late to work. Th you drive with a different type of urgency. All of a sudden, you become a NASCAR driver. You got to get there because you don't want to be late. And this is the kind of urgency that Jesus is moving towards. And this is the kind of urgency that Jesus wants us to sense in choosing him. The difference is if you're late for work, you might lose your job. But if you're late on choosing Jesus, you might lose your life. This is what's in the text. And here we'll see three potential disciples that Jesus encounters. We get to examine the response of Christ, and from that we will discover not only what it means to believe in Christ, but furthermore, we will discover the demands of discipleship. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus. Many of us know people who believe in Jesus, or they'll say, I believe in God. We know people who say that, but their life reflects something different. And so this is not a call just to believe in Jesus with your mind, but this is a call, a, a demand of discipleship with your whole heart. And so for, G, for Jesus, genuine discipleship was not something casual. It's not comfortable Christianity that we see today. It, it will actually cost you something. It will cost you something. And this is what I want us to see today, that Jesus wants us to count the cost. Jesus doesn't want us to be a generation of half-hearted followers. If you're going to be in, be all in. Jesus doesn't want half of us. Jesus wants all of us. And there will be no allegiance that, is, that goes untouched if you walk with Jesus long enough. And the question becomes, will we orient Jesus around our lives and our world, or will we orient our lives and our world around him? So Jesus, who is Mercy and grace personified wants to be clear about what it means to be his disciple. He wants us to be clear about what it means to be his disciple. He, 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 I know you, you want the heaven reward. I know you want that, but there's something in between, right? It's kind of like those commercials that you see 
probably around 11 to 12 o'clock at night. I've talked about this before. You, you see those medicine commercials. You've seen it where the people, the, 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 the grandparents are riding on a bike and they're chasing each other on the beach. And, and they're like, if you take elixir or whatever it's called, elixir cam or whatever it's called, you'll be free and you won't have any disease. And then what do you hear? Side effects are lung cancer, colon cancer, throat cancer. Matter of fact, you're just going to die. But you'll be able to push your kids on the bike for a few minutes. But Jesus is not like that. Jesus doesn't talk and speed through it so that we can buy the drug and not be aware of the side effect. But Jesus wants us, wants us to be clear, and he wants us to count the cost before we follow him. So Jesus is giving us, in his grace and his mercy, giving us a warning of what it means to follow him. Yes, the, the rewards are great, but, but there's a cost to pay in, in the meanwhile. And so the first person we will see volunteers to follow Jesus. The second person is actually called by Jesus. The first person volunteers. The second person is actually called by Jesus. And the third person volunteers once again. And what we'll see is no matter how you come to Jesus, whether he calls you or you voluntarily go, the demands of discipleship are the same for everyone. Verse 50, verses 57 through 58 says this, and we look at the first person who volunteers to come to Jesus, and I think he's the most boldest person in the Bible. He says this, as they were traveling along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you Wherever you go. What did I tell you Jesus was going? Jesus determined to journey through Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? The cross, the crucifixion, where he will suffer and die for the sins of humanity. The people who are with Jesus, if they're not careful, are going to suffer with him. And this guy doesn't know that, but this guy says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I don't know many of us that will tell anybody that we'll follow them wherever we go. But this is what this guy says to Jesus. He makes a bold, audacious statement. And clearly, clearly, he does not know where Jesus is headed because he volunteers to say this. This is a statement of unwavering commitment. Jesus, wherever you go, I will follow you. And the first we see is that this guy is oblivious to the cost of discipleship. He, he couldn't have given any real thought of what it meant to follow Jesus. And the, the reason why I believe this that he could be this boy is because he doesn't really know who Jesus is. If we read Matthew's gospel and we see Matthew's rendition of this same story in Matthew chapter 8, this same gentleman walks up to Jesus and he refers to him as a rabbi or as a teacher. And so the guy doesn't know who Jesus is. He thinks Jesus is a teacher. So of course he can tell him, I'll follow you wherever you go because there's no danger and there's no risk inherent in following him. And so this guy is looking to follow Jesus because he thinks he's an ordinary rabbi and an ordinary teacher. He will be a student that will just learn from this teacher. And following a rabbi meant nothing other than walking behind him and submitting to him whatever he was teaching to you. And, and aren't we like that at times where we are comfortable learning some cool stuff about Jesus? Comfortable with learning. But let me tell you this. Jesus wants more than students because Jesus is more than a teacher. He's God. He's God in the flesh. And he tells him, 
Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus refers to himself, his favorite designation for himself is Son of Man. This title is a, a messianic title of sorts, meaning that it signifies humility and lowliness and weakness. And he's saying, I've come to be lowly. I've come to be humble. And Jesus is calling this man more than, give, more than to give him a lesson. He's calling to give him a life. The God thinks he wants to learn something. Jesus wants to offer him life, but it will cost him something. Jesus is saying, I don't have the equivalent of what animals have. I don't have the equivalent of what a fox has. A fox doesn't live in the lap of luxury, but, but at least a fox has a place to sleep. Birds of the, bird has a, a bird has a nest. It's not a mansion, but at least he has somewhere to sleep. And Jesus is saying, I left the comfort of heaven to come down and live in this wicked world, and I don't even have a place to lay my head. I can't even stay at a Holiday Express. And this is what he's telling him, because this guy just thinks he's going to follow some ordinary teacher, but Jesus ain't an ordinary teacher. I, I hate this. I hate it and I love it at the same time. I hate it because I'm like, they couldn't put Jesus up at the Westin or something. This is Jesus. He could have stayed somewhere nice, somewhere, got a continental breakfast or something, some room service. It's Jesus for crying out loud. I hate it because of that, but I love it, too. I love it because Jesus is gracious enough to let him know on the front end what it's going to cost him. And Jesus is saying, it will be hard to be my disciple if you value comfort and security more than you value the kingdom. This is what he's saying to him. He's saying it, it means that you may have to forsake some present securities that you have and maybe you'll venture, adventure into the unknown to a place where you don't, you don't know how it's gonna work out. Maybe that's what he's calling to. He's not saying that you have to do this. He's just saying you must be willing to do this. See, many of us, we, we don't have to do anything. Many of us, after we leave here today, after you watch this online, after you do all of that, you know what? You go back to your comfortable life. You go back home. You go get something to eat at your favorite restaurant. You can put on your favorite clothes. You can watch your favorite show on your flat screen TV. We get to do this. And so it's not saying we have to give something up today, but it means that in our hearts, if it comes to it, we must be willing to give up something. This is about not have to, but willingness to give up something for the call of Christ, giving up everything, even the comfort of our own home. And so this is really urging us to loosely hold our ambitions. I don't know what your ambitions are today, but he's telling us to loose, hold those things loosely. I don't know what you're holding on to for dear life, but he's saying hold it loosely because the kingdom of God is calling. And if you follow Jesus long enough, at some point you got to give something up. That's the cost of discipleship. And here's the good news. You may lose something, but you can trust and know that if you're genuinely following Jesus, you will always have a home. You always have a home in him. Speaking, speaking of home, we get to the next guy. We see this guy has family matters. He actually is called by Jesus. Jesus sees this guy on the road to Jerusalem. He says, hey, follow me. He says, follow me. Look at this gracious call. Jesus is following him. This is how we all receive the gospel. Je Jesus called us. We didn't call it. He called us. He made us alive when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. He made us alive. And Jesus is calling this man. And here's this response. He has a real good, good reason not to follow Jesus. This is a good one. This is a good reason. Lord, first let me go bury my father. I mean, his dad just died. Come on, Jesus. This is his family. This is his dad. It's not some ordinary person. It's not his 
first cousin. It's not his second cousin. It's not his, if you're from the South, this is not his seventh cousin. It's not this. This is his father. And Jesus says, one of the meanest things in the Bible, verse 60, look at Jesus. But he told him, let, let the dead bury their own dead. Closed my Bible and I saw that. I'm going to do something else. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. And here Jesus calls this person to follow him. Notice when Jesus calls to follow, he ain't making a suggestion either. What's wise about this guy, though, and not the first guy, the first guy's eager. This guy's like, whoa, he's not too quick to make a promise. He's not, not too, too, too quick to be like, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. This guy's like, at least like, I, I see what's happening. I saw what happened to the last guy. I see what's happening here, so let me put a pause on it. And he says, first, first, first let me, first let me revealing his priority. His priority right now is his family matter. He wanted to honor the commitment to his family before following Jesus. Th that's, that's reasonable. Here's why it's reasonable. This guy wants to keep one of the Ten Commandments. He wants to honor his parents. He wants to obey his parents. What's wrong with that? And if Jesus', if Jesus response sounds outrageous to you and I, you can't imagine how outrageous it sounds for people in this particular context in antiquity. If it's crazy to us, it's that much more crazy to them because it's so countercultural. They lived in a time where there was a great, great, great premium on family obligation and family loyalty. You stuck with your family. You did whatever your family said to do. If your family was doing it, you did it too. You, you had to ride with the family no matter what was happening. So family loyalty and obligation was everything. And what's even crazier, it looks like Jesus is telling the man to break the fifth commandment. Hot Jesus. You who, 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 who raises the standard of the law, now you're telling me to break the law? You want me to break the fifth commandment? What, what kind of God are you would tell me to break God's own rules? Jesus is telling them, let the dead bury their own dead. This man wants to do something noble before following Jesus. He wants to negotiate the terms of his discipleship. He wants to negotiate with Jesus. But Jesus is like every negotiator you've ever seen in every movie that has a hostage in it. What do they always say to the terrorists, terrorists when they take hostages? What do the FBI always say? We don't negotiate with terrorists. And Jesus is saying, we don't negotiate with terrorists. This is not Jesus' first time saying something like this. And we look at Luke 14, 26. You know what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26? He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. And now Jesus is not telling you to hate your family. What he's saying is you must love me so much that your love for me looks like hatred when it's compared to your family. It's a hard response that Jesus gives this man. It's a hard response if, you're, if you aren't God. It's a hard response if you aren't God in the flesh. It's a hard response if you aren't God. You know why it's a hard response if you aren't God? Because Jesus can see through the nonsense when other people can't. Let me tell you what's happening in this text. This man is on the road outside somewhere and he meets Jesus. The problem is when in those days when a Jewish person died, it's not like us where, it's, you know, some, some of our context. I'm a black pastor, so just bear with me. 
somebody dies, it takes a little minute for us to bury the person. We got to figure out, cousin got to come from out of town. We got to help somebody get a cheap plane ticket. We got to figure out who's going to buy the check sodas. We got to figure out where we're going to get the lawn chair and the tent from. We got to let that insurance thing work itself out a little bit. Figure things, we got to figure some stuff out. That's not the context here. They tended to bury somebody within 24 hours after they were dead. And it was a week-long celebration. So if this man's father is dead and they bury him the same day, why isn't he with his family? Why is he out meeting Jesus? Add to the fact he's the son. He's the oldest son. So his presence is of primary importance to the family. Why is he outside on the road to meet Jesus if his father is dead? Questions that need answers. And Jesus can see through this. If he loved his father so much, he will be there taking care of his familiar responsibilities, but he isn't. And Jesus tells him, first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. You know why Jesus says this? Not because he's mean, but because Jesus realized his father isn't dead. His father's not dead. His father's not dead. He's actually saying to Jesus, let me go back home and I'm gonna wait till my father dies because I'm the oldest son so I can get my father's inheritance. I will follow you after I get what's most important to me. Jesus sees right through what we think is honorable and calls out the foolishness and lays it bare for the world to see that this guy's priority ain't his family. His priority is his pockets. He's got his mind on his money and his money on his mind. And what we see is an indefinite postponement of discipleship. He is delaying it on, on purpose with no real intention of ever following Jesus. We've all met people who've said, I'll come to him when I get my life together. But what do we know about that statement? You can't get your own life together. That's why you need God. And what we see it's this man making a self-centered, self-serving excuse of why he can't follow Jesus. I could venture to guess he's saying that whenever my father dies, I can get this money. I can't miss out on that, even if it means missing out on you. His priority is his paper. He said, I can't afford to follow you right now. And Jesus is telling him, no, you can't not afford to follow me right now. Jesus sees through the symptom and gets to the root of the problem. Jesus discerned that this man is using his family situation as an excuse to delay discipleship. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 9, verses 23 to 25. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 9. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow after me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet forfeits himself? I love it the way the King James saying, what benefit profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? 
And Jesus is saying, I'm actually offering you life. Let those who are spiritually dead bury the natural dead. Right now you have an opportunity to choose death or choose Jesus and have life. And the point for Jesus is one's commitment to the kingdom takes priority even over family considerations. I know that's sensitive for some of us. Because some of us don't just love our families, we idolize our family. They're an idol. We worship them more than we worship God. And unfortunately, some of us expect our family members to idolize us and not worship God. And Jesus is cutting right through this. He cut, he's cutting right through it. He's not saying there's a prohibition against taking care of your family. He's not saying that. But what sometimes rejection uh, for believing in Jesus is so strong that it feels like you're breaking up with your family if you decide to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Sometimes following Jesus will cause you issues with your own family members. And if following Jesus has never caused you to sever any kind of relationship, I got bad news for you. You haven't followed Jesus. Because following Jesus will cost you something. And Jesus here saying kingdom business takes precedence. There's a, there's a sense of urgency. Duties and desires at times may conflict with the demands of discipleship. What hinders us from following Christ is not always something sinful. I want you to hear that. What, what sometimes hinders us from following Jesus is not always something sinful. Loving your family, doing for your family, taking care of your family is not sinful. It's a good thing. It turns into a bad thing when it takes precedence over serving God. I love what Dave Gooding said in his commentary on Luke. He said this, a man who considers that he has a prior a prior duty to fulfill before he is free to become a follower of Jesus has no concept of who Christ is. If you say, I got prior duties before you can make a commitment to Christ, what it really reveals is that you're not busy. It reveals that you really don't know who God is. Because if you knew who he was, he would do what he asked. Do what he asked. So for us, it may mean that I have to make decisions that others may not understand in the way of following Jesus. Maybe some are comfortable right where they are with no intention on doing anything out of the ordinary in the kingdom. And maybe that makes them comfortable. But for you, that may mean going against the grain or against the crowd and trusting Jesus, no matter where at least see it through to the end. See what happens if you follow Jesus. The good news is that if you follow him, he is, is, he is with you even if no one else is. That's what he promises us. But then you have another one who volunteers to follow Jesus in verses 61 through 62. The other guy was like, no, nah, I'm not really ever following you. That's why I'm going to go and see my father. My father might be 40, 50 years old. I'm just going to just kind of go see whenever my dad dies, he dies. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not ever intending on following you. But this guy that we're looking at now, he doesn't say not, not ever. He just says, just not right now. Verse 61 through 62. And another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is actually fit for the kingdom of God. This man probably, I, sur I surmise this guy, heard the conversation with the last dude, and he was like, yeah, that's a shame. I'm not going to wait until somebody dies to follow. 
I'm going to just go and say goodbye to a couple people. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm not going to ever follow you. I'm just not going to do what you're asking me to do right now. I know I should break away from it. I'm going to eventually because I know that's the right thing to do. I'll just do it later. I think that's where most people live. I think most people live in the air. Most people don't. Most Christians, most people, most people want to follow Jesus, don't have an outright rejection with, with, with the intention never to follow Jesus. Most people live in this space where we're kind of like, I know what it requires of me right now. I'll just get to it later on. But you know what happens if you grew up in a household that, that was about real strict discipline and they tell you to clean up your room at a certain time and they come home and it's not cleaned up? By 5.30, if they got off at 5 o'clock, there was a price to pay. So I'll do it later. It didn't really work out. It's no different with Jesus because you don't own time. Matter of fact, you don't even own your life. And here's what this man says. First, let me go and say good. First, let me go and say goodbye first. That word first is there for a reason why, because first means my priority. My priority first is to go give a shout out to the people that I'm leaving behind to let them know that I'm going to follow Jesus. He wanted to go say goodbye. That, that's the courteous thing. It's not a bad thing to do. He wants to follow Jesus, but once again, he wants to go say goodbye to the people at his house, and there we have family taking precedence over again and follow, over following Jesus. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the king. What is Jesus saying? That's an agricultural saying where Jesus is talking about who people, people who plow in the fields. He's saying, if you're going to plow, you have to keep going straight and go forward and keep your eyes fixed on what is ahead at the distance. Because if you turn to the side or if you look back, it could cost you something. You will mess up what you started to do. And this is a call for us to not look back if Jesus has called us forward. He's saying the demands of the kingdom takes precedence over whatever is in your past. He's saying we cannot afford to go back and long for the past, especially when we've made progress and he's working in our lives and trying to do something new in us. He's saying don't look back. That's the wrong thing to do. He's saying keep looking forward no matter what it costs you. Some of us are the kings and queens of the look back. You know what happens? If you go back sometimes, you'll be tempted to stay there. Because you know what's back? Comfort. But looking back, rarely ever works out. This guy in the Bible in Genesis had a wife. His wife's name was, I forgot what his wife's name was. His name was Lot. Lot had a wife. There's an area called Sodom and Gomorrah. They're supposed to leave. What did she do? She looked back. You know what happened to her? She turned into a pill of salt. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is going to turn you into some sort of seasoning. <laughs> but it costs her something. The Israelites are in Egypt in slavery, bondage, 
hard labor. They hate it in Egypt. What does God do? Brings them out. That's what we get in the book of Exodus. He brings them out. He brings them out of slavery, out of bondage, in the place that they complain about and say they don't want to be. He brings them out. What do they do as soon as they get in the wilderness? They start complaining and asking, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? They want to go back. You know what God decides for that generation who complained about him bringing them out? He says, you know what? You'll never see the promise. You're going to die right here in this wilderness because you look back. There's always danger that when God pulls us out of something, we look back to where we came from. But he's saying, once you commit to Jesus, hold fast to the confession of your faith without wavering. God does not issue his call for us for a season. It's for a lifetime. And I love one of my favorite theologians, R.C. Sproul, had to say about the demands of discipleship. I love this. I want you to hear this and listen to this carefully. The pursuit of God is not a part-time weekend exercise. If it is, chances are you will experience a part-time weekend freedom. Abiding requires a kind of staying power. The pursuit is relentless. It hungers and thirsts. It pants after the deer, after the brook. It takes the kingdom by storm. The pursuit of God is a pursuit of passion. Indifference will not do. To abide in the word is to hang on tenaciously. A weak grip will soon slip away. Discipleship requires staying power. We sign up for duration. We do not graduate until we get to heaven. This is the demands of discipleship. Not priority is to walk with Jesus and follow it no matter where it leads us. We see it all the way through to not limit what God can do in our lives, to not say, hey, God, here's where I'm willing to go, but I'm not going any further than this. This is my cap right here. That's not discipleship. That is comfortable Christianity. I'm trying to wake you up this morning to see the commitment that it takes to follow Jesus. Yes, there is beautiful reward, but it will cost you something in the meantime. It will cost you something. Real discipleship is to know that the world and the people around us will not always comprehend what God is doing in our lives and where he's taking us, but we have only one priority. Answer God's call and see it all the way through. If there's one thing this generation lacks... His good old-fashioned courage. It's not intellect. It's not innovation. We got that on lock. It's not creativity. We are the most creative people God ever created. But it is the heart and mind to do the uncomfortable thing. Discipleship is not comfortable. It is costly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. And it means you follow him and you risk suffering, you risk getting alienated, you risk having your heart broken, you risk disappointment, you risk losing friends, you risk losing family, you risk missing out on career advancement, not because any of that stuff doesn't hurt you when you leave it, but because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Matthew 19, verse 29 says this. Read this, and then I'm done. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children 
or feels because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. That's the reward of following Jesus. And some of us need to consider this today. This text is not really about the responses of the potential disciples or what they ultimately decided to do. Because the crazy thing is, we don't know what they decided to do. We don't know if the guy said, I'll follow where you go. I don't know if he went with him to Jerusalem. The guy said he wanted to bury his fake dead father. We don't know if he actually went back home. We don't know if this guy who went to say goodbye to his people at the house, we don't know if he actually went back. We don't know because the story is not about them. We don't know what they did, but we know what Jesus did do. We know that Jesus made up in his mind and he was determined to journey to Jerusalem. Jesus decided to see the assignment through. Jesus decided to go all the way to see it through and to finish. And the good news is I am glad that he did. I'm glad that he did not turn back. I'm glad that Jesus did not say, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm glad Jesus did not get convinced that he shouldn't do it. No, I'm glad that Jesus decided that I was worth it, that you were worth it, and that God's glory was worth it. Thank God that Jesus saw it through and so it falls to us what is it that is stopping us from seeing it through matter of fact what loyalties have replaced our primary loyalty there comes a time in every man's life when he has to make a stand if he's going to fulfill his destiny, carry out his calling. He has to do it with single-minded devotion and wholehearted courage. He must pursue what lies in front of him, never turning to the side and never looking backwards. And God never calls a man to do something that he hadn't already equipped him for. So I don't know where you are today and what God is calling you to, but God has equipped you to do it. Some of you have questions that have not been answered about where God is taking you and how this thing is gonna play out. But you don't have to have the answer. Jesus is the answer. Some of you are right on the fringe of following Jesus with your whole life. And little do you know it will change everything. Not that it won't be hard, not that it won't be difficult, not that it won't be challenging, but it will be worth it. What is it in your life right now today? What, what disposition? What, what attitude, what thing, what person stands in the way from you giving your whole heart to God and following him? Is it a career? Is it, is it, is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it, is it money? What is it? Whatever, whatever it is, no one who has ever decided to follow Jesus looks back and regrets it. Anybody that truly follows Jesus will tell you, yes, it is worth it. Yes, forgiveness is worth it. Yes, joy that no one can take away is worth it. Yes, salvation is worth it. Yes, peace is worth it. Yes, eternal life is worth it. Yes, God's provision is worth it. All of it is worth it. And if I had to do it all over, I'd do it again. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. Know this. The Hebrew tells us, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was not only looking to the cross, he was looking to the crown that he would gain by dying for sinners like you and I. Following Jesus is a hard walk, but it is worth it because it is a walk with God. And if you're gonna go anywhere, the best walking companion you could ever have with you in this life is Jesus. Where are you today? Where are you today? And what do you need to consider and then decide that it's not worth you holding on to, forsaking what Jesus is trying to do in your life right now? What are you like kind of having regrets about? That man, I was having so much fun. It was so comfortable. I enjoyed it so much. But I'm following Jesus and, and, and it's not gotten really any easier. But Jesus wants you to know today that he is worth it. There is fruit that came from Jesus' decision to, that, that, that he determined to go to Jerusalem. The fruit of it is you and I. We are the result of a man who saw it all the way through. We are the result of courage personified. Because of Jesus, because of his resolute mindset, because of a heart that was set on doing the will of his Father, here we are. Let me suggest to you that your obedience to Christ will bear fruit in ways that you have never imagined. Somebody's life will be changed and altered for the good because you obey Jesus. And when I get to heaven, I don't want to have to explain to Jesus why I was so hesitant. All I want to do is see my father and fall on my knees in worship and hear his voice say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's all I want. And that's all you should want to. Following Jesus is costly, but it's worth it. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.